Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by Angie, Estimate Rocket, and Paint Supply. What happened? So we're on this job in a city called Gross Point, and you're probably not familiar with Metro Detroit, but it is the old money, the uber rich, really snooty. That's the city we're working in. And the job that I sold was simply repainting the siding and the trim. But I got this crew out there and the, the crew leader is just like the nicest guy. He's a bit of a pushover. He's willing to do whatever. And the customer had been pretty particular, but overall things were fine until he asked my guy to dispose of a gallon of oil-based stain that had been sitting in his garage for you know a few years. And like, it's, it's not really part of our scope of work. Obviously, we're not taking care of other people's garbage that we didn't even generate. But this guy's like, okay, fine. Yeah, we'll take care of it. He picks up the gallon, and as he's walking it out to his truck, the handle breaks off the can and spills all over this guy's driveway that had just been installed, this exposed aggregate sealed driveway. Oh. probably cost the guy $35,000. It's like, what do you do? Like, we, We're not supposed to be disposing of, of yeah. their own garbage. It's not even a product that we were using. We were trying to do yeah. the guy a favor. Mm-hmm. It was, I would say, out of on the level uh, on zero to one hundred percent reasonable. The customer was like fifty percent reasonable, understanding that you know, mm-hmm. and wasn't our fault. We didn't like break it, and so we ended up having to write off about twenty five hundred dollars off the project. We tried to clean mm-hmm. it up, still see the spot. It is what it is, but like that it taught us a lesson. Like, don't do favors for people. Is that a good lesson to learn? Or not? <laughs> well, yeah, that's a hard one. Oh, man. What a bummer. What a bummer indeed yeah. for being a good guy. Well, uh, hello and welcome to DYB Podcast. Today's guest is from Oakland, Michigan, or Detroit, uh, president of Ellison Painting. Brad Ellison, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for having me, man. Happy to connect with you. Hey, my pleasure. Uh you are in your second year, I believe you said you're in business 15 months and you're tracking for 2.75, maybe 3 million in your second year. Is that correct? Yes. If those numbers hold up, uh, then mm-hmm. yes, they're actually under what our stated goal was for the year. But we've had a bit of a crazy year with some unexpected situations that popped up that we couldn't avoid. Uh, but yeah, short, okay. qu- short answer is yes, we are tracking for those numbers. Okay, fantastic. Well, Let's get into that. But first, take us back to the beginning. How did you get started? Sure. So my background is not in the trades. It's not in painting at all. Um, I did start my very first business when I was 19. It was a window washing company. I spent one summer washing windows for another company. And I was like, hey, I like doing this. I bet I could sell some paint jobs. So I launched my own company. And that was that. Did it for a summer in between um, uh, college semesters. Enjoyed it, but really never focused on it, didn't take off, and it fizzled and died. I started my sales career when I was about 24. I was selling life insurance, and I did that for a bunch of years. 
bounce from life insurance to health insurance to software to marketing services all over the place. And when my wife and I finally got married when I was 30, 34, 35, we decided at that point that we never wanted to work for anyone ever again. So we both had jobs. I was, I was managing this, um, I was selling software for this company. She was working for her dad's company in the automotive world. So we both quit our jobs and launched our first business together, which was a health insurance agency. Health insurance, what we do is we sell to individuals, not not companies, not group plans. And so it's highly, highly seasonal. You can only buy these new plans during an open enrollment period, which is at the time was November 1st through January 31st, so three months. So we launched and we spent some money in marketing. That business generated a bunch of revenue. But at the end of the three months, it's like, what are we going to do for nine more months? We, like, There's not much we can do within that business. We could start selling other services, but I didn't want to get too deep in financial services. I, It was a way to make money, but not anything I was passionate about. So we're like, well, what if I tried to find some sort of seasonal sales job? that alternated, that was busy in the spring, summer, fall, and then slow in the winter so that I could go back and run the insurance business with my wife. So we talked and prayed about that on a Saturday. Sunday morning, we happened to meet this guy at my church who uh, owned a painting company and was looking for a sales guy and maybe someone to eventually buy his business. So I met him on Sunday. By Tuesday of that week, we had decided to partner together. So he brought me on as sales guy. Within about six months, I was straight up running his business and did that for five years. About, uh, about what size is the business? The uh, we were doing about three million dollars, two and a half to three million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. When um, towards the end of that five years, we had had an agreement to purchase the company, but when uh, as we we're getting closer to the date that the contract was actually going to be executed, we realized it wasn't it wasn't in our best interest. Not only was it not in our best interest, but it would have been and could have been financially devastating to my family if we bought that company. Mm -hmm. So we made a very, very difficult decision in March of 2022 to part ways and launch Ellison Painting. So I I, I kind of fell into the painting Mm -hmm. industry because I was looking for something seasonal. So what what was it about that deal or what can you share uh, that would have made it bad deal for you just the way it was the it was structured yeah it was wanted for the buyout it was it's kind of complicated because when we signed when when i came on board with them the original plan was two years later we would have the opportunity to buy it as we came up to that two years he's like ah well you know just make me an offer let's figure it out so i we, we ran some numbers we talked to a cpa we talked to a business consultant and came up with an offer that was significantly less than he thought it was going to be worth. Right. Which is pretty common. Yeah. Right. So he's like, well, if that's the case, then I can't sell it right now. I have to work and save money for three more years, but let's sign a contract. And at the end of that three years, then you can buy it. So we signed that contract in 2020, uh, right before COVID hit really. So COVID hits, in Michigan, we were shut down for two months. A lot of crazy things happened that affected our revenue. We had a really bad uh, rain year. We lost 55 days to rain one summer. Um, we had uh, this other uh, siding vertical that was in place when I signed the contract that had disappeared during that course. So <clears throat> when when it actually came to the purchase time to purchase, the business was actually worth less 
than it was when we signed the contract. So we tried to renegotiate. Um, he, I don't think he could afford to renegotiate it. He needed that money for his retirement, and which I totally understand and appreciate. And so we just said, all right, well, okay. just can't do it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Thank you. Okay. So you guys decide to uh, go on your own. Yep. Um, we had a pr- kind of a unique origin story for our company. Not only was I not a painter, but we really had every single advantage going for us when we launched. Okay. So I wasn't a painter, but I'd spent five years running a pretty good sized painting company in the Metro Detroit area. I had by that time started to build up a bit of a reputation within the industry. So people locally and nationally knew who I was. So it was going to make it a little easier to recruit and find subcontractors. Um, But maybe most importantly, and I'm not naive to understand that this is probably most importantly, we had been saving up money for a big down payment to buy that business that we no longer had to spend it on a down payment. So we had like $200,000 in our business bank account to launch a painting company. And almost no one has that, right? Most people, you know, as well as anyone, most people start off with a paintbrush and a van mm-hmm. and, and a they deposit over- from the first job. <laughs> right. And they start saving money and hopefully bring more people <laughs> yeah. on and expand very slowly. Well, because we had the expertise on how to how to grow and run a big company and the money to do it, boom, we just spent a ton ton of money in marketing spent a ton of time before we launched in building our systems. All of our SOPs were written out. Here's what our customer experience is going to look like. Here's how we're going to manage our crews. Here's where we're going to find them. Here's what the crews are expected to do. Here's how we're going to do collections. So, I mean, we had, I had already had the playbook on how to launch before we launched. All right. A few questions there. Thank you. Where, uh, where do you keep your SOPs? Then Google docs or do you use a yeah, specific we, we use Google drive to house all of our documents. Yeah, I've been through uh, probably four or five different uh, SOP apps and programs, mm-hmm. and uh, I've gone back to Google Docs. I find that that is really the most efficient, effective. It's, it uh, just seems to be the easiest, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's where if, yeah. if there is a better solution, easier mm-hmm. solution, I'm always open to changing anything that we do if it makes it easier. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest roadblocks in uh, SOPs, whether it's, you know, um, a lot of times painters will think of it as the technical production, you know, out in the field, but whether it's uh, sales marketing is, is that when they're being executed, the person executing it needs to be able to update it and at the edit them. Otherwise they become worthless way too fast. If it, if it takes too much of a process to go back in there and update them. So that's another reason why I love Google docs. Yeah. So. I think that's one thing that a lot of people miss is that SOPs are, should never be written in stone. Mm-hmm. Every we have our um, our quarterly meetings. We follow the traction EOS system. Mm-hmm. So every quarterly meeting, uh, we put that all up for debate. Is are our project management SOPs still valid? Are we have we mm-hmm. seen bottlenecks or issues over the past quarter that we need to address to update? Um, that's been really valuable for us to just uh, not only be able to adapt to what the marketplace needs from us, but mm-hmm. also as we bring new people on board, have fresh eyes on it, mm-hmm. uh, getting essentially what is outside a new perspective on how we're doing things. Yeah, right on. And then money in uh, marketing, were you paying for leads? What, uh, what were you doing for marketing? Yeah. So we, so we based, um, my marketing budget on what we wanted to do in revenue for the first 12 months. The goal was to do about uh, 1.5 million in the first 12 months. So we launched with a $13,000 a month marketing budget. Which is what percent? About 10%. 10. Thank you. Yep. Okay. Uh, so we focused on Facebook ads. Uh, we focused on Google ads. In-house Obviously we paid, or outsource? I'm sorry. 
excuse me, in-house or outsource? Outsource everything. Yeah. I don't, I don't really believe in in-house almost anything. <laughs> uh, yes, we hired an agency. They built our website. They launched our Facebook ads. They launched our Google ads. They started working on SEO. Uh, we, I, I basically was stealing ideas from Jason Paris. Um, he likes to say, I, I, I'm trying to do what Jason Paris did, but do it a little bit faster and bigger. Uh, and I'm only able to do that, of course, because he has given me his playbook. So uh, another big strategy of ours, uh, influenced by him in Paris painting, was door hangers. So we started a big door hanger campaign right away. So we we got traction right away because the lead sources that we were investing in were giving us immediate results, right? So we still focus on SEO and, and relationship building and networking, knowing that those will be more important in the long term. But in the short term, we're like, hey, we got all this cash. We need leads. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it worked. Right on. What? Um, okay. So you get going, how did you find your subs? Right? So to to staff up that fast is not easy. So it's going to be difficult to find subs too. We can't just go pay for leads for subs. You had to hustle network for those, I would imagine. Correct. So our primary lead sources for subs um, would be Sherwin-Williams. I I actually make a strategic decision with Sherwin-Williams and my relationship with them to kind of overpay for materials. So I, I could probably get lower pricing on you know, per gallon for the paint that we buy because we buy a lot of it. But I actually pay a little bit more so that when I call and need something from them, I get immediate response and I'm top priority. So when my Sherwin-Williams rep asked me, you know, what do you need from me this quarter? I say, I don't need lower pricing. I don't need golf outings. I don't need you to, to buy me a watch. What I need is subcontractors. And so my rep has been amazing. Anytime he comes across possible crews, he's sending them my way. And he's also deputized the local store managers. So when a, when a crew comes in looking for subcontractors, Ellison Painting usually gets first dibs at it. And nice. I like that. I like that lead source because they're essentially pre-vetted. Right? He's not going to refer over a crew that he thinks is going to be lower quality or um, unreliable. So it takes a little, some of those road bumps out of the way a little bit at least. Uh, the, other, the other source is through the Painting Contractors Facebook groups. So I, I was very fortunate that when Tanner Mullen launched his big Facebook group a few years ago, I think I was in like the first 100 members or something. And Tanner and I hit, hit it off and he eventually made, made me an admin of that page. And now that's me, Tanner, and one other guy that are admin of this page with 175,000 members. And through that group, that's how I met everyone. I mean, ultimately, that's how I met Jason Paris. That's how I met Nick Slavic and the Kuipers and all these people that have been so influential to my journey within the within the painting industry. Well, because I'm an admin in there and it, my name says admin and group expert, when I post in that group saying, hey, I'm looking for subcontractors in Metro Detroit, I'm able to get a pretty good response. And so honestly, more than half of our crews, I think, have come through just networking and reaching out through Facebook. And that's how I get them to respond back. Okay. Right on. Uh, tech stack. What's your tech stack look like to manage your operations? So we use open phone for our phone system. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with open phone, but it's, you know, VOIP it's, it's pretty good. What I really, really like about it is 
that you can assign multiple users to multiple phone numbers. And when someone calls and we don't pick up, which, you know, we don't have a full-time phone call answerer right now, they get an automatic text message back that says, Hey, uh, sorry, Mr. Call. If you're looking to schedule an estimate, you know, click this link and, and schedule it yourself. So open phone has been really valuable. It also allows me to record the phone calls of all of my employees. So I can hear all the conversations, my salespeople, project managers, admin that they're having with our customers or potential customers. Um, and that sounds a little bit big brotherish, right? <laughs> but it's not that because my people are high. I trust them very, very highly and they're highly skilled, but it has allowed me to uh, give them some feedback and allows them to say, Hey, I had this weird call. You mind listening through, see if you can provide some feedback. So that's open phone. For CRM, we use Drip Jobs. Drip Jobs is nice because it handles all the marketing um, and like text, email automation on the front end. The estimate delivery is pretty slick. You know, you can customize what your estimates are going to look like, um, and of course, that helps us with scheduling, invoicing, collections, the whole nine. So, Drip Jobs has been really valuable. I think we are testing the limits of Drip Jobs. We're one of the bigger companies on the platform with multiple users. So it's Tanner Tanner gets uh, chirped chirped at about once a week for me saying, "Hey, when is this issue going to be fixed? How you know what, what can I do about it?" Uh, and then we tie company cam into drip jobs as well. So company cam has been really valuable for us. We we take about twenty to twenty five pictures for every single estimate, and company cam is connected to drip jobs, so those pictures automatically go into that estimate. But when the job starts, we also add our subcontractors as collaborators. So they can take progress pictures while we're there. Our My project managers are taking progress pictures every time they stop by a job site. And then they're, of course, we're using it for after pictures too. The, really, the other really nice thing about company cam is we give our marketing agency access to company cam. And when we mark a job as complete, now they can go grab collateral for our for our ads and our posts. So they can just go and grab the befores and afters, create the post, send it out. That's nice. You're one of the few out there who are not using the same tired, mm-hmm. uh, 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 what are those photos called? The uh, stock like photos. Stock photos. Oh gosh, yeah. stock photos are so cringy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so There's all like the, three of them that everybody uses. All, all the pictures and all of our marketing is actually jo- uh, like right on. photos from our work. Yeah. So how do you communicate the uh, work orders? How do you hand off? What tech do you use to hand off the work orders? So the work orders can be sent directly from Drip Jobs. So the, the crew gets a text message and an email with the work order. And then they also have the, the link to company cam. That's and then. Okay, nice. What do you use to uh, for, for calendar for mapping out all your projects? Uh, so Drip Jobs has that function, though it's not really the best for us with the number of crews that we have. Any given day, we're going to have anywhere between eight to fifteen different projects going on, and uh, the the functionality within Drip Jobs was we were really really testing that. So that's also something we use Google Sheets for. So it's basically a big whiteboard, a never ending whiteboard, and it's really flexible. So if a job is delayed one day, it's pretty simple to just doom, move it over one one day, and we can all see exactly where where the projects stand. Nice, nice. Okay, uh, any other tech? Not really. I mean, we don't even use QuickBooks or anything. No, <laughs> we, no. you don't use. What? I what, you know what we use? We use the account, we use the accountant that I've had since I was nineteen, and uh, every other month, 
I schedule an hour and a half with him and I sit at his desk and we go through all of our expenses. And that's so old, old school, but I found that's the most efficient use of our time to do it. And it's way more affordable. I mean, this guy, because you know, when you run a painting company, the expenses are the same expenses over and over. It's Sherwin Williams, it's fuel, it's uh, it's paying subcontractors, it's payroll. There's not a bunch of unique types of expenses that we're having. So he he just yeah. ninety minutes later, I'm caught up for those two months. So what um, you're you're going at an incredible growth trend. What gross profit are you able to hold on to? through this growth? So we are at about, we're somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 15%. Oh, gross mm-hmm. profit or net? Gross. Gross. Oh, gross. Yeah. Okay. So I can tell you gross profit, we are averaging about 42% um, for labor, 12 to 13% for materials, which leaves 42 to 43, 45% yeah. gross. That's still profit. fantastic for the uh, the growth trend you guys are on. Okay. Yeah, the gross profit is good. The, the net profit mm-hmm. is where we start to get a little lean. Uh, yeah. My marketing budget's high. Uh, I brought a lot of employees on in project management and sales roles really before I had the revenue to justify it. So now we're just catching up to that. Um, Do you have some campaigns in place to keep top of mind to your customer base? to our like exist past customers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we have automated follow-ups through drip jobs. Mm. It's basically email Fantastic. and text campaigns. Okay. Right on. Where does your drive come from, Brad? Man, that's a, that's it. I like that question. People never ask me that. Um, I don't know. I have a, I have a drive to just continually be better. Right. Uh, I don't really believe in the status quo though. I actually do believe in being content. So on one hand, I'm like super content with my life. I love my wife. I like my wife. I love and like my kids. I have this fantastic business that I enjoy doing. I have this great group of friends. Uh, I'm in excellent health. I work out all the time. I'm very content with my life, but I still feel like there's, there's room for more, not just for me, but for the other people that I love and care about and that work with me and whatnot. So part of it is to always get better. I have a natural competitive spirit. So as much as I love Jason Paris and I I wish him unending, never-ending success, uh, I'm I'm in such admiration of what he and his team have done. But now I want to do that. I want to do a little better. Right? So it's like I like having that these guys that are way above me that I'm kind of chasing after. Um, So does that mean you're you're looking to bring on some partners? I, in some capacity, I mean, if you ask Jason, uh, he, they want to partner with me, which I think that's understandable. I think I would be a, a good company for them to partner with, but honestly, and I've, I've said this to Jason and his team, I love and trust those guys so much. The downside for me in partnering with them is that my partners aren't in the next office like their partners are, mm-hmm. right? I'm, I'm such a, I'm an extreme extrovert. The, the social piece of everything that I do, whether it be work or fitness or whatever, the social piece is really important to me. If I could get Jason and his guys to move to Detroit and we could have an office suite and they're my partners, I would, I would probably say yes in an instant because I know that there's going to be at some point a limit to how far I can grow Ellison painting without additional partner help, right? So, I mean, but I would say ultimately my drive now comes from providing for my family, 
changing the, the legacy of my family and the legacy I grew up in, and now extend that one step further to helping the people that work with me change their family legacy as well. One of, one of the things I'm most proud of 15 months in is that we have multiple painters that are doing Ellison painting jobs that are making over $100,000 a year. That's awesome. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Guys that are, oh, yeah. you know, first generation immigrants they came from Albania mm -hmm. and now they're here, they're married and they're just having kids. Actually, my, one of my favorite painters I have guy I love so much, like a brother, um, just had his, his first daughter yesterday. Oh, yeah. uh, and those are the guys, like, I love that. It's what's, what drives me is continuing to provide opportunities for those guys that they wouldn't have otherwise. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of the guys, what, uh, what part does culture play for you in your company? Uh, culture. So culture is now what I make my hires based on uh, core values and culture. So we have, we have well-defined core values within Ellison painting. Um, and when I'm interviewing for someone, uh, interviewing someone for a project manager role, for instance, we talk about those core values and I get my feed, I get their feedback on each of those five. You know, what does this, what does this mean to you? Does it resonate? Are there any of these that you feel don't resonate with you? Um, and then the culture is then the next step after that. It's, you know, how do we operate as a team? So I wouldn't consider hiring someone if they didn't match our core values. Um, and then I all, so that's like the prerequisite. And then are they going to fit within our culture of levity and fun, lightheartedness, but ultimately hard work and exceptionalism. So I think culture internally is really good. We, we have this really gnarly situation happen in my company this, this year. Um, beginning of June, my right-hand man, uh, he, his one-year-old daughter was diagnosed with leukemia out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, boom, my right-hand man is gone for five weeks. And not only that, we had a situation where our other project manager, we had found out that he had been lying about some things. It was kind of shady. So I had to fire him even after, like right after Ron had to go on leave. Now, so that left me, my other sales guy and my admin. The culture that we had built was very sacrificial in nature where everyone stepped up to the plate. Veronica, my admin was like, all right, I will take on this and this. And Mark said, you focus on project management. I will handle all of the estimates. And we were able to leave Ron completely alone for those five weeks. He could focus on his daughter, focus on his wife. And we just kind of got gritty and got through it. If we didn't have that healthy culture where we all actually like each other and want the best for each other, I think that could have been the death nail of Ellison painting, or certainly it certainly could have prevented us from hitting any amount of success through the year, but we held it together. Um, Ron's back now. His daughter is in remission. Thank God. She's still in treatment um, and she will be for quite a while. And we've had to adjust Ron's schedule to allow him uh, to have the, the flexibility to take her to doctor's appointments and all this. Um, and we brought on another project manager uh, to replace the guy I fired. And now I feel like we are healthier than ever and our trajectory is back up to where it was. Right on. Can you give us an overview of your org chart? Yeah. So right now, um, I'm the owner. My wife is technically co-owner. She was, she worked with me as project manager for the first six months, but now she's no longer active in the day to day, but she does come to all of our quarterly meetings. And of course she's my number one sounding board 
every day when I go home. So that's my wife and I there. And we have Ron. So Ron is project manager, head of operations. He manages one other project manager. He also manages Veronica, who is, she was hired as an admin. She's proven to be exceptionally valuable in a lot of different things. So she's transitioned into a project coordinator role. So she's the one that actually schedules all the projects between the customers and the crew. Uh, For the time being, she is also handling scheduling of estimates, but we are about to hire a VA to offboard all of that. Uh, and then as far as sales, I, I still do uh, run estimates. And then I have one other estimator that works under me. And that's the sales team. Okay. So right on. me and four full-time employees. Yep. You mentioned uh, you love and like your wife. How important is it to have a strong marriage when building and succeeding in business? Well, Steve, uh, this is um, a second marriage for me. And I can tell you my first marriage, the, I, would, I would argue that the primary reason why it didn't last and why she ultimately decided she didn't want to be married to me was we, we didn't like each other. And I don't think we ever did. We ever really did, you know? Um, and I think that while I had a little bit of success while I was married to her in my sales career, I never would have had the support to start my own business and really risk it all. My wife, Rachel, is so smart and she's so high integrity and our relationship is so good. She trusts me so much that while I run every idea past her because I want her feedback and I value that, ultimately, her response in almost every situation is, if you think that's the best idea, you should absolutely do it. So she had no hesitation in, in launching the company. Like, yeah, we're technically risking everything that we have. But also, when you have a healthy marriage and a healthy relationship, we you can have this perspective of, well, let's say let's say we risk all this money, say we blow through two hundred thousand dollars in six months, and it turns out it was a fluke, and the only reason I had any success in the painting industry was because it was someone else's company. Well, what then? Well, then we just go get jobs. You know, we don't want to, but we can. I'm a good sales guy. She's she's a phenomenal communicator and project manager. We can always go get jobs and make enough money to live the lifestyle that we want to live until we decide what we want to do next, right? And so having that freedom where we're highly capable, we can lose everything and still be fine, it allows you to take a lot more risk. So, I mean, my wife, if, if I didn't have my wife, uh, it's not like if, if I didn't have a wife, if I didn't have my wife, you know, Brad Ellison and Ellison Painting are absolute trash. They're nothing. Hmm. Right on. Okay. Thank you. Books. What, uh, what, what books have made an influence in your life? Uh, so traction EOS for sure. Um, one book that most people aren't familiar with. Do I have it here? I don't. Um, it's called range. Let me see, Let me see if I can remember who, who wrote this book. It's like David Epstein or something. Uh, let me see. Yeah, David Epstein. Range, R-A-N-G-E. So I have this buddy, Tim. Um, Tim and I have known each other forever. He was actually in the youth group when I was a a volunteer leader of the youth group. So he's like, yeah, seven or eight years younger than me. Um, When he got married, I was invited to be a part of his wedding. And for groomsmen gifts, uh, instead of getting like whatever, some silly tie or whatever, he actually bought a book for each of the guys specifically for them. 
it's a book. He's like, yeah, I think that this, this would speak directly to you. This made me think of you. So he bought me this book called range and I'd never heard of it. And the whole book is all about the power of being a generalist. So they, he uses these examples, uh, Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods is not a generalist. Tiger Woods, from the time he was a little kid, was hyper-focused on golf, and that might be the only thing that he will ever be extremely good at through his entire life, because he's a specialist. Other people have had equal success, sometimes greater success, by being a generalist, where you don't, you're not hyper-specialized in anything. You don't have any great expertise in any one certain thing, but you are pretty darn good at a lot of different things. And so Tim gave me that book, and I'm like, yeah. I'm a generalist. You know, there's a lot of things that I like to do that I'm pretty good at, uh, but I'm not the best. I used to sing professionally, for instance, right? I'm a pretty good singer, but the people I've sang with, you know, when I was on tour with, you know, they've yeah. they've got they've been nominated for Grammy awards, and uh, you know, they're movie stars and Broadway stars now, and I'm like just a pretty good singer. I'm pretty, I'm, I'm a pretty good sales guy. I've worked with guys that are better sales guys, but I like have all these skill sets that are pretty darn good that lend themselves, I think, to being a really excellent entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's another book that I love. Um, it may not speak to everyone because I think some people fancy themselves as specialists, but for me as a generalist, that one really spoke. I think it was Robert Kiyosaki said specialists know more and more about less and less. That's right. That's right. And, and there's, there's a lot of value in that, right? Like when I, mm -hmm. when I hire someone for a, um, you know, a marketing position, I want that person to be an absolute expert at marketing. Mm -hmm. I don't care if they know how to recruit subcontractors. I don't know if they care about how to apply paint. I need them to be experts at the one thing that I'm paying them to do. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was a, that was a good one. I remember reading rich dad, poor dad when I started my sales career oh, yeah. and, uh, that, that helped change my mindset about, um, generational wealth, you know, wealth mm -hmm. versus money. I didn't grow up with wealth or money. So I'm trying, right? still, still trying to establish my healthy views on those. Um, and of course the Bible, I don't know oh, if you're yeah. allowed to say that. It's too yeah, absolutely. Cliche, but uh, as a believer, yeah. of course, the, that's fundamentally what I base all my decisions and principles on. Amen. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you. Brad, I really appreciate you coming on and, uh, I know you're real busy. Got a lot going on there. Is you're scaling at an incredible speed, uh, trying to surpass Jason, which is a cool goal because everybody needs a competitor. Mm -hmm. So you know, keep running at him. But uh, is there a question I should have asked, or any final points you'd like to make before we wrap this up? Um, well, one of the things that I, I like to talk about on these is, or just talk about with other contractors in general, is the idea of like real balance. Um. I will, I will never be a workaholic. I don't like working. I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't really enjoy working. I don't, I don't get my, my energy from working and I don't, my drive doesn't come from having huge financial success. My drive comes from external sources that then play back into the growth of my business. And so people wonder, well, oh, well, you, you grew so fast. You might do two and a half or three million in your second year. You must be working like 60, 70 hours a week. And my answer to that is like, I've never worked 60 or 70 hours a week in the painting industry and I won't. Uh, I, I set pretty clear boundaries. I wake up in the morning, I have coffee with my wife um, and hang out with our kids from about seven o'clock till eight o'clock. I go to work 
and whether that's estimates or going to the office, whatever I got to do. But every day I clock out at three o'clock so that I can be at the gym at 3.30, work out from 3.30 to 4.30, home for five o'clock dinner. Nearly every day, that's my schedule. And because that's important to me, I've built systems in place that take care of everything else so that I can really focus on the things that I'm passionate about, which is, you know, my faith, my family, and my fitness. Balance, balance is hard because I think a lot of people live, you know, with these, with closed fists and they, they want to, that, that could be whether it's holding on to the reins of their business or holding on to their money. And I learned a long time ago that the more I release that and live open-handedly, the more freedom that I'm going to have in the long run. So I pay my people really well so that I can attract high functioning, highly capable individuals to help me run this company. And I don't have to be looking over their shoulder, shoulder all the time. I made the decision up front to spend money in marketing to generate leads so that I didn't have to like just trudge through and try to get some traction organically. I hired people before we needed them or before my revenue could justify it. Otherwise, I would be hitting these these plateaus where I'm at max capacity and then trying to figure out how to bring someone on and train them. So I think that the the problem is that people say they want balance, but they're not willing to take the risks or the make the sacrifices to actually do that. You might, might mean making less money for a period of time so that you can have the actual balance that you say that you want. But also some people say they want balance and they don't. Is they want more family time. Well, they go home and they don't like their family. So step one, fix your relationships with your family. Step two, fix your business so you can have more family time, right? But yeah, that's I love talking about that. And actually, there's going to be a conference in Phoenix in October that Service Legends putting on. And uh, Ryan Davis has asked me to speak specifically about that. How to, how to scale a, a contracting business or a service-based business past a million dollars in one year while still maintaining a healthy family and uh, real life balance. Right on. Fantastic. Thank you, Brad. If uh, somebody wanted to follow up, what's the best way they should get hold of you? I'm on Facebook is my primary platform. Um, I don't have anything to sell, right? So you don't go buy my book and don't, don't, subscribe to my podcast. So I don't have any of that, but I do love talking with other contractors and I get guys reaching out to me all the time, picking my brain after hearing me on something like this. So, uh, a Facebook is just under Bradley Ellison. Uh, you can reach me on Instagram at Brad Ellison, uh, or at Ellison painting MI happy to connect, happy to help others in any way I can to, uh, to elevate the industry. And we're going to try to do that two gallons at a time. <laughs> two gallons at a time. Right <laughs> on. Awesome. Thanks again, Brad. Yeah, buddy. Thank you. Paynet Podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.